Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. Hey everyone, we're going to continue in the book of Hebrews, so get your Bibles out. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, um, that's okay. We'll have the words up on the screen. I'm not texting, by the way. I just forgot to hit the record button for the podcast, so I'm not catching up. just realized. Do I have to start over and do the welcome again? Or Just kidding. Okay. There we go. Um, as you're turning there, I um, just want to welcome you. I know some of you might, might be your first time. Really thankful you chose to worship with us here at Campus Collective. Um, we do the same thing basically every week. We want to sing songs, hear from the Bible, beg God to change us, and leave here ready to be on mission on our campus. And so I am really, really always humbled to see people show up to be a part of what God's doing here. Um, I want to tell you the title of the sermon tonight as we get started It's just this, don't drift and don't neglect. Don't drift and don't neglect. You need to know that this message has urgency to it. Now it is true that in every sermon that we preach here, and every day of our lives should have urgency for the cause of Christ. But I love when the text itself puts the importance of urgency in your own soul right in front of us. Uh, The realities of this text are true and terrifying and deserve to be honored and cherished and seen clearly. And so we're just doing four verses tonight. Um, So we're going to slow down and see all of this together as we exalt Jesus with one another. And so what I want to do first is just read the text outright. So look in your Bibles, look up on the screen. It should be up there. This is Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, and it reads this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Hopefully, you're already seeing the urgency, the warning themes in this text. And we obviously have a lot of work to do tonight. And so, if you would, I'm just going to pray over us that we would just go ahead and obey this right now by paying much closer attention to what God is saying to us through Hebrews 2. So let's... Let's pray one more time tonight. Lord, we just thank you that the message that we have is reliable. I'm asking, God, that you would show us where we are drifting, that you would renew our love for you and our resolve to follow you. Thank you for the grace that keeps us. We know that you complete every work that you begin in us. And so, God, we're asking that you would use these warnings to spur us on to consider the claims of Christ all over again tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, 
Verse one, first word you'll see is a therefore. So an important note for your own Bible reading, one of the best ways that we can honor God in his word is to truly read it, to follow the logic. What's it saying? There's power in the meaning and the realities of God's word. So the power of this is actually in the meaning of the words and sentences that God has inspired for us. And so when you're reading on your own and you see the word therefore, we need to know and see that the realities that are coming after this word, therefore, get its power and its force from the words that came before it. Does that make sense? So if it says, therefore, what we're about to say means in light of the things that we just saw in the text beforehand. And so what we have to do in order to get the full thrust of these four verses is to see the glory of God in Hebrews 1 all over again. Now, I'm not going to re-preach last week, okay? You can go back and listen to that if you want. But I want to bring before you three realities that came from that that will hopefully guide our hearts into worshiping Jesus in the way this text is calling us to. The first one was just this. Hebrews 1 made it clear that God speaks. He speaks. This is verses 1 and 2, if you remember from last week. This book starts out with these staggering claims that we have a God who has revealed himself to us. We can see his glory and know his existence in creation and in our conscience, but he has spoken. We have his word. Uh, Hebrews 1 said that at many times and in many ways, God revealed himself to our fathers by the prophets. And at least one commentary saw the idea of to our fathers as shorthand for all the people of God in the Old Testament. Last week, I mentioned the patriarchs. Now, to be fair, some, some timeline work here. Some of them, some of the patriarchs were before the actual time of the prophets in our Old Testament history. But the point remains clear. The fathers of the Old Testament are the fathers of those of us in Christ. No matter the exact timeline, what Hebrews 1 wants us to see is that God was speaking in the Old Covenant times. But all of that was not just to leave it there. It was setting up a contrast that was way better than God revealing himself at many times and in many ways to our fathers by the prophets. He's trying to show us that now he speaks through his son. Jesus Christ is the full and final revelation of God. God speaks. Reality number two. Jesus is better than everything, parentheses, especially angels. You remember this from verses 2 through 14? Over and over, trying to show us that Jesus Christ is the one who created the universe. He is the one who upholds it by the word of his power. He is the truth from God. He is king. Do you remember all of the Old Testament references painting the portrait of this for us? There was Psalm 45 and Psalm 2 all showing us that there is a king and it is Jesus. Now, we don't have time to go back through all of these Old Testament references, but once again, the point became very clear. Jesus is king, and he is worthy of our worship. Reality number three, it's what we landed on last week, that the point of seeing him and his glory in the word as king, the point was to bow before him. I've heard this before and even mentioned it last week that nobody goes to the Grand Canyon to think about how awesome they are, <laughs> right? I love that quote. You don't do that. Why? You go there to be overwhelmed in the awe and majesty of something much bigger than yourself. And it's a good point that can be applied in the word. We don't go to the Bible in order to be like, 
wow, we are really nailing this. <laughs> we don't do that. You twist it, make the Bible about you, you're missing the point completely. The point is that you see a glorious picture of who God is and that the response to that is humble worship and adoration. God is for his glory. He is holy and in his character, he is loving. We should be doomed in our sins, but Christ died for us. And when he finished the job, he sat down on the throne. And because that work is finished, now the holiness of God, instead of being the most terrifying reality in the world, it's actually for us in Christ. My goodness, that is something to worship about. And so that's Hebrews 1, okay? Hebrews 1, so because of these, God speaks, Jesus is better than everything, the point is to bow down, Hebrews 2.1, because of these glorious realities, therefore, look at your text, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, this verse is going to be a launching pad for us in this sermon. We need to get in it and have it get into our souls so that we might become the type of people who live out this verse. All of us need to truly hear this verse. Because here's the reality. There are two types of people in this room. There is one type of person who claims to be a follower of Christ. You claim it. And though that type of person would include those who actually follow him and those who are faking it. And verses like these are great for waking you up and spurring you on. God gives us verses like this with hard edges to expose the hypocrisy in us and to spur you on toward holiness. That's one type, people who claim. The other type of person in this room is people who do not claim to follow Christ. And we're not leaving you out tonight. We're so glad you're here. I hope maybe you're just checking out the Bible or wondering what church is about. We're so happy that you were here and want to answer all of your questions. But you need to understand the sermon is for you too. You need to see the beauty of what we're talking about here. So we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. A few observations. Don't you love the grace and the forcefulness of this verse? Um, it should bring clarity to your mind. Isn't it good to know that there are just some things that we must do? This is very clear. In a world full of optional fluff, it is good to have some clarity. You may not realize this, but you need this as, as a human being. We aren't designed to make up our own rules. We aren't designed to decide what is moral and what is right and wrong for ourselves. We need someone outside of us to show us the way. And also note, in this forcefulness, we see that there is a positive command, so what we should be doing, and a negative warning which is a biblically-based threat motivation to motivate us to obey the positive command. So here's the logic. Jesus is majestic and deserves the worship of angels and you. Because of this, you should pay much closer attention to the gospel. And if you don't pay closer attention to the gospel, listen, you will drift. You will drift. And so for you tonight... You should want the grace of God by his spirit to recreate you into a person that pays closer attention and avoids drifting. The Holy Spirit does this through repentance and resolve, that you would repent and turn from what is drifting your faith or distracting you from paying attention to ultimate reality. My goodness, so many of us, probably all of us in this room are functioning distraction addicts. We are. We're so used to not paying attention to what really matters that it's become normal. It's become normal to not sit before the presence of God if you're a follower of Christ and, and be able to just drift your mind off into things that do not matter. 
Repent of what is turning your faith into a drifting faith. And resolve by the power of his spirit to pay closer attention to what is being said. Now, we're going to come back to this verse to examine the idea of drifting in more detail. But for now, we're going to lean into the reality of paying closer attention. So, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Biblically speaking, we must hear the word and obey the word. You need to understand something. A great way to see what you actually believe about the Bible, about the word of God, is to see what you obey in the word of God. That's hard, but it's true. Think about it. At the end of the day, human beings do what they want. That's the harsh reality for all of us, and it's kind of a funny story. One time, there was a really epically good uh, cross-country runner at my high school. Um, I graduated in 2010, so it was a while ago, but this guy was really, really good, and I went to Planet Fitness. You guys need Planet Fitness people? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Okay. Like 10 bucks a month, and everybody has a membership, but nobody goes kind of place. Yeah. And I remember it was one year after the New Year's, um, New, Year's uh, New Year's Day, you know, the big, like, go get back in the gym day. And I remember I showed up. <laughs> I showed up, and this epic runner that I went to high school with, who I was not super close with, but I felt like I knew him well enough to not receive this insult from him. I kid you not, not talked to him in years. He looks at me in the gym. Keep in mind, this is a guy who broke a four-minute mile when he was in college, so he's like, he's legit. He looks at me and goes, is this some kind of New Year's resolution for you? <laughs> I didn't have the heart to say, yeah, it is. Um, but the harsh reality is this. In something as trivial as physical exercise, but what about the eternal matters of the gospel before you? You need to understand, you do what you want. And so the reason that you don't stick to commitments, the reason that you don't or let yourself get distracted by other things is not because these distractions have victimized you and made you do something else. It's because it's what you want to do. We have to believe and obey. I'm not talking about this, by the way, to just pile guilt on you about the sins that you commit. Just the opposite. The same word that convicts is the same word that comforts you with the forgiveness purchased by Christ. But we don't want the command to miss its convicting power. So by the power of the Spirit, you can be a person who pays much closer attention. One of the ideas behind the word much is the idea of abounding. And the Hebrews 2.1 vision for your life, Christian life, is one of abounding in diligent hearing and diligent paying attention, going deeper and deeper and deeper with Christ. So what does the text say we are paying attention to? We must pay closer attention to what we have heard. So what have the people in the time of Hebrews and us heard? The message of Jesus Christ. He is God. He has come in the flesh. He has died. He has risen. He is reigning, and he will return. We are all about Jesus Christ, his person, and his work. So as a Christian, listen, you need to pay much closer attention to that. We cannot assume that we have a clear understanding of his holiness and our sin. We go deeper with him. One of my favorite cross-references that I will potentially use in almost every sermon on Tuesday nights is 2 Peter 1, 8 through 9. It shows us that one of the reasons that we must pay attention is so that we don't forget the gospel. Look at verse 9. It should be, or verse 8, excuse me, up there. For if these, yeah, uh, actually, hang on. That's verse 8. Yeah, we go. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 goes on to say, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Here's the key. 
having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10 goes on to say, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. What he's saying here, after listing a bunch of these gospel growth characteristics, he shows us that if we lack growth, please hear this, if you lack growth in Christ, it is because you have forgotten the gospel. Isn't that amazing? If you're lacking, if you aren't growing, if you're stuck, if you're not having victory over that sin, if you are crippled by fill in the blank of whatever sin you're most hung up by, it's because you've forgotten. And because that is true, we must be diligent to go deeper in obedience and deeper in gospel growth. And now we need to look at the rest of these verses to flesh out that point, that this message that we have heard and cannot afford to not pay attention to is worthy of our attention. Look at verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Now, I want to stop here. What in the world is the message declared by angels? The message declared by angels was the revelation of God at Mount Sinai when he showed himself to the people of Israel and gave them his law. You can check Deuteronomy 33.2 for an angel's reference there. But if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, that sounded like a different language. I understand that. It's going to strike you, I'm sure. But it's crucial that you stick with me here and for the rest of our Hebrews series. Because so much of the book of Hebrews is about showing these Jewish Christians in the audience of the letter, but also us, how much of the Old Testament points to and is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So we hear these things that maybe you haven't heard before. Come find me. We'll find the references. Familiarize yourself with the Old Testament story. But I understand that some of you are like, I just like started reading the Bible this week. Some of this stuff is going to feel like you've never read it before because you haven't. But maybe you're clear. Maybe you've heard of Moses, right? Maybe you've heard of sometimes these kind of more well-known Bible characters can spark the story in our minds. But just to refresh you, God rescues his people from Egypt and then gives them the law. Please notice the order. He didn't give them the law. He didn't drop into Egypt and say, here's the Ten Commandments, obey these perfectly and I'll get you out of here. <laughs> he rescues them from slavery and then says, here is my law. This is how you live as a free person. Oh my goodness, if we could understand that. It is not get yourself right and then I will save you. It is you are saved. Here's how you live as a saved person. The law shows us how we obey God. And even though Christ fulfills this, it's still important because it shows us important things about the will and the character of God. And in a Hebrews 2.2 kind of way, what we see is that God reveals himself to his old covenant people in a way that shows his justice. Did you catch that? Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Please hear this. Neglecting to come to God by faith in the Old Testament deserved death. And this is just. God is not overreacting. We don't have time to go through all of the Ten Commandments this evening. But suffice to say that in your life you are 0 for 10. You are. The law did not show people how great they were. It showed the greatness of the holiness of God, and it showed us the greatness, our great need for God in faith. So he sets up this picture of God revealing himself in the Old Covenant to give more force to the thing that we should be paying much closer attention to, and he does it with a question. we got to pay much more attention to this, because if we don't, we're going to drift. Remember when God 
brought with the angels his law and all the people who rejected him had a just retribution. Then he says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If the people in the Old Testament were justly punished for neglecting God's salvation, how much more would those of us who are hearing the gospel after Jesus has already come and lived and died? The point is clear. We won't escape if we neglect this salvation. What are we not escaping? The just wrath of God for our transgressions. Please hear me. Saving faith is a faith that will come back. Yes, you may stray, but you will come back and it's a faith that wants to go deeper and will not neglect the salvation purchased for us by Christ. Hear this. Calling yourself a Christian and having no desire to go deeper with him should make you ask really, really hard questions tonight. Are you drifting? Are you neglecting this great salvation? Are you even anchored to Christ by grace through faith? My goodness, if we would not see this as a performance tonight. These are eternal realities that you cannot afford right now to let distraction draw your eye into what's going on after this. This text puts it right in front of us. These people got a just retribution because they denied the God of the Old Covenant. And the God of the New Covenant is the same as the God of the Old Covenant, but in a fuller picture because Christ has come and lived and died and rose again. How shall we escape if we neglect that? Let's see the rest of these verses and show how this word shows us how great the salvation really is. I love this. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So Jesus comes on the scene proclaiming that the kingdom is here. You can find this in Mark 1.15. It's when he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. All of the Old Testament that we'll continue to see in the book of Hebrews was brought to this moment. Jesus entering the scene. And then he dies and rises again and sends his followers out to proclaim this message. You see this at the end of Matthew. It says this. A lot of you might know this as the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And you know what happens? Those followers of Christ, they hear it and they believe it and they obey it. And so those people tell what Jesus has done, and those people tell more people, and tell more people, and tell more people, and then eventually, somehow, some way, in God's grace, you heard and you believed. And verse 4 is just a summary statement of all that happens in the book of Acts. It's a portrait of the early church, of how they obeyed this commission to spread the gospel all over the world. Verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so as the people of God followed Jesus' marching orders, God did miracles and gave his people gifts so they might accomplish their purpose and their mission. Two points to see. This salvation is amazing. God has been saving people and bringing his powerful kingdom since the beginning of Jesus' commission. Just look around this room. The gospel got to us. Have you ever considered how miraculous that is? You did nothing to deserve someone caring enough about you to share the gospel with you? Do you realize a group of people this size in here worshiping Jesus, saying that we want to go all in with his mission on this campus? You should be amazed that he saved you and that he's still pursuing people. And if you aren't a Christian tonight, you're still neglecting this salvation right now. And I want you to look around tonight too 
These people aren't faking it. Obviously, we don't know their hearts, but I know some of them and know that these people have been walking with Jesus a long time, and the evidence of their life is that they love him. They really love him, and they're not fools. We're giving our lives to this. And even if you aren't on board, I want you to at least see that we are, and we mean it. I could go on and on and on with stories of the last six years about how God has saved and brought his kingdom in and through these people. What God has been doing since the time of Acts, since the beginning of creation, of course, but in his new covenant mission is great. Do not neglect it. Number two, I do not want you to miss the missional thrust here. Notice the phrase attested to us by those who heard in this part of the verse. Don't miss that those who heard told others. They spoke. Faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. And one of the things that we have to commit to as a ministry this year is to say that every single person that connects to this ministry hears the gospel. We can't hold it in. If you don't think you know how to share the gospel, learn how. Put it on a connect card. Come find me. We want you to be one who tells what you have heard. I want to conclude this part of the sermon before we look at it from the drifting angle and just ask, how could you not want to pay attention to this? <laughs> the word is unreal. It points us to the reality of God, a holy God of love and justice, a God that is building his kingdom, and it can't be stopped, and a God that invites you in. This is the point of your life, to glorify him. Don't neglect this. Pay much closer attention. Let's circle back to, to, to verse 1. I want you to see this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Remember the logic. Because God has spoken and Jesus is superior, we must pay much closer attention to the gospel that we have heard. Because if we don't pay much closer attention, then we'll drift. This is a warning passage. And you're going to see a lot of these in the book of Hebrews. You need to understand a reality that the author of Hebrews understands to be true. Please hear this. Not everyone who claims to be in Christ or not everyone who is connected to a ministry is actually in Christ. Warning passages are designed to sift us. They expose fakeness, not in a haughty gotcha kind of way, but a grace-filled gospel smart bomb for your soul to wake you up. Just because you grew up in church does not make you a Christian. Hell will be full of people who liked campus ministry. And I want you to see it because this was me. When I came into college, I had church all over me. I had a husk of Christianity. If you would have asked me, I would have said, yeah, I believe it. But there was no heart change, no desire, no repentance. No true faith. And I'm passionate about you all making sure that you know. At the same time, there are those of you in here that are truly followers of Christ that can be made to feel very uneasy. And I don't want to do that to you either. God does not want you guessing if you are truly his. But he does want these warning passages to move us to work out our salvation and test our faith so that we can go deeper into it. The response is the same. We should all be repenting and recalibrating tonight. The way to God is through Christ, and the way to Christ is through faith in his death and resurrection. And what faith looks like is turning from sin and loving him, demonstrated by obedience and love. And don't get the order turned around. 
You're not saved by your good works or your good connections. It seems like the author of Hebrews was really concerned that people finish the race and have persevering faith. Faith that does not truly finish is not real. I want to give you, it's a full meal tonight, I know. Almost going to apologize for that, but I'm not going to. We need this. You need this. Even if it's the last time you come, I want you to hear this. You need to see biblical realities around drifting. And so I have three things that I'm calling the anatomy of a drift. It's important for you to know this. First thing I want you to see is how your own soul can drift in moment-by-moment decisions to either choose sin or choose Christ. The next thing I want you to see is what role true community plays in making sure that you stay the course. And number three, I want to show you a 10,000-foot view of what this can look like in gospel ministry. Okay, we're going to pay much closer attention. Are we good? All right, let's do this. Number one, James 1, 1, 14 through 15. This is how you can see this in your own soul in a drift, moment by moment in your decisions to either choose Christ or choose sin. James 1, 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. You all have little battles to fight over and over again in your walk with Jesus. Just showing up here and being happy that you're here is not what we want for you in your walk with Christ. We want you to go deeper with him moment by moment. Every moment battles are where the drift can really happen. Do you realize that no one wakes up and thinks, you know what, today's the day I'm going to ruin my life with a terrible sin. No one. The leaders that we've looked up to that fall, the people that you've known and loved that have chosen a life of sin over Christ, they didn't wake up and think, you know what, today's the day. I want to ruin my life. It's a drift. So you're tempted when you're lured and enticed by your own desire. Please understand this. You are the reason that you sin. (laughs) Got to know that. You're the reason. And for non-Christians in the room, you need to understand that you can only sin. The Bible is clear that everything that doesn't come from faith in Christ is sin. For Christians in the room, you need to know that you have a desirable war happening in your hearts, maybe even now. Your sin nature and your sin desires and the Holy Spirit in your new nature. So when you choose sin, you are letting the old dead you win. You're choosing it. But the power of the Holy Spirit means you are able to choose holiness now. You understand that? You have the power to say no to things that will kill you. What we see in this text is when that evil desire in you meets a temptation in the world, they have a horrible, nasty little baby called sin. And that little sin grows up and it kills you. So one way that you need to pay attention and not drift is to know your temptations, starve your sinful desires, do whatever it takes, and feed your new desires with the word and prayer and pursuing Jesus. Please hear me. Repentance is not a bad word. Just because some insane preacher guy held it up on a poster board and yelled at people in a mean way does not mean that a gift of repentance is not good for your soul. It's grace. People who claim to be in Christ and drift away because they don't actually know him listen, are those who hear truths like this and leave indifferent and continue feeding the sin in them. Your fight against sin is evidence of true faith. Don't be discouraged when you see more sin in your life that you hate. 
That's the heart of the Christian battle. To be like, yes, I see that and I hate it. Thank you, God. And then kill it and live in Christ. Just got to fight. There's joy to be had moment by moment. Number two, I want you to see the role that true community plays in making sure you stay the course. Two passages from Hebrews. I'm not going to preach all of this because in 12 weeks or whatever, we're going to get to this, but I want you to see it. Hebrews 10, 23 through 27. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Please hear this. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Hold fast, stir one another up to keep going. Don't neglect each other. Keep coming back. I've seen people in the last six years drift away from Christ, and it usually starts by them stopping showing up. <laughs> they stop coming to the things that are gospel-centered, and they drift. This passage makes it clear that we should expect judgment if we continue to sin deliberately. I hope your heart is breaking for people. Listen, this is why we have to keep inviting. <laughs> you have to keep sharing the gospel. You have to keep praying. You have to keep talking. You have to keep pushing past the fear of man and actually inviting people to come because people can drift. The day is coming soon. we got to get people. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, another angle of this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For if we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, how do we avoid being the type of people who prove that we were never saved by falling away? We exhort so that we hold our confidence until the end. The scary thing about sin is that you are blind to your own blindness. And listen, two hours on a Tuesday night, I don't know if that completes, but exhort one another every day. It's got to be a daily fight that you look at your brother and your sister in Christ. You say, I'm in with you. Call out my sin. Let's exhort one another. The day is drawing near. Don't let me be deceived. You can't afford to not have time for biblical community. Lastly, the 10,000-foot view. Jesus tells a parable, and then he explains it in Matthew 13, 18 to 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this was the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, it's the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, another 60, another 30. Please understand what happens. Some are truly in Christ and they produce fruit. Some don't even hear it because of the enemy's work. Man, I hope that makes you pray for nights like tonight. Do you realize when the word goes out, there's an enemy at work trying to snatch seeds so that people don't receive it? Some spring up and look joyful but have no actual roots and fall away when it gets hard. And some get choked out because they decide the world is more important 
than Christ. But we have to keep throwing seed, and we have to check our hearts and trust Jesus day by day. Uh, ben, come on back up to lead us. I want to I end with this. I know there's a lot of things to, to wrestle with tonight, and we want to answer all of your questions. But you must not forget this. In all of your considering, where am I drifting? Where are my weak spots? Where am I failing? I want you to remember to praise the one who never drifted in your place. Jesus Christ, pay close attention to this. He came and he lived perfectly, never wavering, held his confidence all the way to the end where he died and secured your salvation by his death and resurrection forever. And here's the thing. I can't stir you up to this. I can't motivate you into caring more about this. But the Spirit of God can, and he can use his word to do it. And so as we get ready to sing, I just want to leave you with this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Let's start in this moment by going all in right now and praising Jesus for the great salvation he has bought for us. Let's stand and sing.